today's interview with Dr. Quek and Dr. Shia, we discuss themes that emerge in writing their new book and the intentionalities required in supporting faculty of color in higher ed. Welcome to the AFTA Podcast. I am Naveed Zamani and I am your host. In this session, I'll be speaking with Dr. Karen Quek and Dr. Alex Shia. Karen Quek is the Department Chair and Tenured Professor of the Marriage and Family Therapy Program at California State University, Dominguez Hills. She has over two decades of experience in academic leadership, supervisory, and clinical practice. She has extensive teaching, clinical, and supervisor experiences in the United States and other parts of the world, including China, Singapore, and the Philippines. Dr. Quek is the author and co-editor of two books, Intersectionality and Family Therapy Leadership, Professional Power, Personal Identities, and Transition and Change in Collectivist Family Life, Strategies for Clinical Practice with Asian Americans. She has published numerous articles in international journals, including Journal of Marriage and Family Therapy, the Journal of Family Issues, including many others. Her current research interests include multicultural clinical work, cross-cultural family processes, couples relational dynamics, and intersectionality in family therapy leadership. Dr. Alexander Lin Xie is a core faculty member and clinical training coordinator for Alliant International University's CSPP Couple and Family Therapy Program in Sacramento and former program director for the online campus. He has conducted empirical research on adolescent depression and shame. Additionally, he conducts research on cultural competency, sex therapy and sex addictions, inclusion in academics, minority issues, and Asian American families and couples in therapy. He regularly works clinically with interracial couples, Asian American families, pornography and sex addiction, and adolescents. Thank you both so much for being here. It's very special to have the two of you. And uh, the two of you were invited in particular together because you recently wrote and edited a book together. Uh, so there's a way that I'm interested in hearing about that, but also, of course, interested in what's capturing your attention these days in your work. So Dr. Shia, Dr. Quek, thank you so much for joining and, yeah, interested to hear kind of where your head's at these days. And maybe Dr. Quek, you could start us off, if that's okay. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, Navid, for the opportunity to share um, what we have written over the last year uh, on the book titled... Uh, intersectionality in family therapy leadership, professional power, personal identity. Uh, this is an important uh, book, and it is you know, coming together of marriage and family therapy uh, educators. And uh, we are able to talk a little bit about our social location and what that means for us. Mm. For me, as a female um, faculty of color, I am no stranger to disc- discrimination in the, on the job, and there are many um, unspoken experiences that I have had. And it is important for us to um, to to bring together a group of like-minded uh, professionals who have experiences to share um, some of our experiences and to be able to sh- uh, bring that to light, so that others who have those experiences will 
be able to resonate with us mm. and we can come together to kind of be able to help and support each other and find opportunities whereby we can uh, put our voice out there concerning our experiences. Thank you so much, Dr. Kwek. Um, if I can turn it to you, Dr. Shia, too, um, if you could share a little bit about uh, this book that you worked on with Dr. Kwek. And I'm also interested to hear like how it is that you both came to even this topic or kind of this uh, yeah, yeah. set of ideas. Yeah, um, excellent. Um, thank you so much, um, Navid, for, for um, inviting us um, to this podcast and opportunity to talk. And um, I, I think a, a little bit about, about this book and kind of what drew me so f much to it was, um, you know, part of it is in the title, the, the, the word we start off with, with intersectionality. Um, intersectionality, I think it's, it's um, <clears throat> so interesting because it's, it, it gives all the authors the point where we all connected together. Um, it was a coming together point for all of us um, to, to, uh, to, to share really these, these stories, these narratives of um, where we stand in terms of um, academia and um, how we um, are points of um, identity um, through intersectionality. Um, how, how we teach, how we supervise, how we do administrative work um, with um, the, the, the different uh, either colleagues or students or um, patients that we work with. Um, so, so that is kind of what really drew me to, to this book. Um, but really sharing kind of how these stories impact the work that we do. Um, and, and all the considerations that we have in, in the daily work that we do with students, with other colleagues, um, that was, you know, what we were hoping, um, um, well, I'll speak to myself, that was what I was hoping in terms of um, what we can draw the audience to. And, and hopefully, um, you know, readers um, saw a, a bit of um, a, a point that they intersected with us um, and, and, and can see, use a narrative that we have to maybe hopefully kind of empower them on their stories. Um, but also, you know, maybe sometimes as, as a guide, um, <clears throat> one thing that was important for me to show in my chapter and kind of my narrative was um, just being a um, Asian American, Taiwanese um, American um, faculty member um, in our field, there's not a lot of Asian Americans um, at, on this level. And so there was never that clear of a, you know, this is someone who I look towards, this is someone who I kind of aspire to be. Um, and, and, and kind of that, that is very important. Representation, you know, it matters in, in, our, in every field. And, um, you know, hopefully this is kind of a, a, an idea of what this book can kind of pass on to the audience as well. Mm. Yeah, if I make it kind of add to what uh, Dr. Shea has just shared, I think those personal stories are, are very critical and important. And it, it, it also shows uh, deep self-reflection and vulnerability. And the goal is to kind of give voice um, to how um, all of us navigate challenges of uncertainty, uh, frustrations, confusion, as well as inner tension that we have had. Um, I think we want to be able to kind of bring this up in order to confront injustice as well as create uh, formative spaces whereby the community can come together and flourish. So the, the, the purpose is also to kind of uh, look at how we can dismantle 
uh, oppressive systems uh, in a small ways. And hopefully through more engagement with other people that this kind of issues or concept can kind of evolve and change the systemic um, challenges that we encountered. Yes, if I'm understanding correctly, let me know if I'm misinterpreting anything that there's something about making visible not only your histories and kind of some of your vulnerabilities and stories as a way of not only just like maybe providing an image or a model or a sense of representation for uh, future generations that might be following in your footsteps, but also like naming some of the oppressive structures in which you've historically been operating in and maybe as a community you're trying to resist. And I have to say, I appreciate that because I know for myself as a Persian American, uh, I feel similarly like there aren't that many, I, they, I don't know how many Iranian American professors or therapists I even really encountered. And so there's not that many scripts and the few that I know out there, I'm like very keen to just wondering what they're up to and what they're writing about. So I can really appreciate the work you're doing. If is it okay to follow up with a question here? Because as I as I kind of am making sense of your own you know, unique histories and bodies of work, it's fairly diverse. And then there's like this intersection that this book kind of brings in together with your work, if that makes sense. And I'm curious, like, as you did this project together, um, what were some of the overlaps in the work that you've both done or maybe the experiences you've had? Granted that you both occupy a different academic circles in terms of like some of the topics or research that you engage in. Did you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, one one area um, where, where, where Dr. Quack um, touched about before is, um, you know, within this, the system, um, you know, one, one thing that um, um, Dr. Quack and I have in common, we're both Asian Americans. So we, we have sometimes um, these, these same um, stigmas that kind of um, bestow both of us um, um, with the Asian American uh, stigma. Um, you know, sometimes we can be, be we as in um, Asian Americans in general can be seen as this, with this kind of model minority um, lens perspective mm -hmm. on us. Um, and, and, you know, there, there is a notion of like, oh, you know, um, Asian American um, employees in general, we don't, we don't make a fuss. We just kind of put our heads down and kind of just um, do the work um, and, um, you know, just kind of work hard and, and, and that's it. And I think sometimes that very much um, invalidates some of the work that um, we do and um, efforts that we put in. Um, you know, there's, there's been instances um, in the book where many of our faculty members have, uh, many of the authors have experienced something similar. Mm. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that was um, what really, <clears throat> one of the themes that, that connected um, um, the work that we did and, and the, the narratives that we had. And, um, but that was very much kind of like a, like a starting point for us. Um, I think um, over, over the course, as we were, um, you know, collecting and, and writing this, this book um, together, um, we, we found our experiences were in many ways very similar. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, um, you know, it discounts everyone's, anyone's experience, but like there are still issues within um, the, the, the academia, academia structure that, um, that we needed to continue to talk about. And I, and, I, and I feel like this book was kind of a starting point of 
um, hopefully to start more conversation, um, hopefully start more conversations within, you know, with, with students, with admins, um, with um, um, clinicians about, um, hey, you know, how, what are these injustices and, and how do we kind of overcome them? How do we empower? How do we give voice to? Um, I've, I'm very much a big believer of the more we can talk, the more we can empower, the more we can provide space to, to have a conversation, the more um, you know voices are heard, um, and, and ultimately that gives us the space to hopefully make changes. Uh, but I, I feel like this is something like like a starting point, um, um, rather than this is kind of the end point of, of our discussion. Yes. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. If I may add to what Dr. Shea just said, in our book on chapter nine, we kind of consolidate some of our learning and some of the themes that we have brought together just um, observing and reading and editing uh, all the different stories that we have kind of read. So chapter nine um, is, is titled, What We Have Learned, Different Locations and Shared Experiences. Particularly, there are, com there are common themes that shows up uh, in those stories and uh, the themes includes the following, um, visibility and invisibility, meaning that it is visible that people see us as ethnic minority, they see the color of our skin, they see the color of our hair, they see the, the you know, they can look and, and say, okay, I know this person is a person of uh, minority status, right, or uh, a person of color. So those are very visible, but what is not visible are some of the experiences that we go through in our day-to-day -day interaction, um, whereby sometimes our voices are not heard, um, our ideas and suggestions are not highlighted. Uh, even sometimes the kind of studies that we do uh, may not give uh, are not given priorities. So, so that is the theme with regards to uh, visibility, invisibility. And Dr. C, you can add to some of these because I'm kind of reiterate some of the themes that we have had. And then there's a theme on uh, intersection of both oppressed as well as privileged stories. I think we also need to recognize that there are um, privileges given the positions that we are in, um, the power that we have, <clears throat> either as uh, clinicians, as supervisors, as educators, or, or as administrators. There are privileges because of the positions that we hold. Um, and so we, among us, we ask those questions, how do we uh, use that space in a way that will empower others who may be uh, oppressed or who may be in a, uh, not not in a privileged positions. So this is a, a use of how, how can we um, uh, use those privileged position in an empowering way. Of course, there are always stories whereby we uh, of oppression and, and what it what, what that means for us. Also too, we, we talk a little bit about the continuous um, internal dialogue, as well as a critical reflection. This, this is a big part on our, uh, from our experiences. There's a lot of, there are many times where we ask ourselves um, what could be the right thing to do. Um, the struggles internally, uh, whereby we want to vocalize and sometimes we kind of withdraw mm. um, and based on our social location and where we are. And if we were to vocalize things, how would that impact us, impact the people whom we work with, 
in a in a negative way or maybe it's in a positive way. So so you know there's constant kind of um, dialogue that we we encounter. Last but not least, we we talk a little bit about using privilege to support the marginalized. We are very very mindful about how best we can uh, support others uh, who may have uh, similar experiences as we we do. And, and if I could, um, uh, Navid, um, I, I, think, I feel like one area that um, really I was, I was so honored to write about was was the privilege piece. Um, I, I think so often we we don't talk enough about privilege, and um, it, privilege becomes this like, oh yes, I can write about somebody else's, but somehow if I write about my own, it's somehow like. Um, knocks me down a peg or two, um, and and I feel like that it's it's important to talk about not only our oppressive um, um, experiences but also privilege, and the more that we can talk about privilege, but also not stopping there, like what are we can do with our privilege. Um, I, I think sometimes we don't talk enough about that. Is you know, once we can talk about it and say how do we use that, you know, hopefully use it um, um, in a way that that helps communities that that do not have that that sort of privilege. Um, hopefully is is kind of what we were trying to get at towards, you know, summing, summing up to some of the chapters there. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I'm kind of drawn to that, Dr. Shi, if I could follow up. And it's kind of a half-baked thought, so forgive me if it doesn't make sense. But there's ways that I'm really interested in appreciating this piece of, like, how it is as folks occupying a minority body or status, how it is that we... Um, can occupy multiple positions of power and oppression and privilege in various moments and contexts. And, I don't know, the humble and critical practice of speaking to your privilege. And I know for myself, like, I'm, you know, I, I try my best, too. And there's also certain people that I don't want them to hear me talking about privilege, right? Like, I'm thinking about certain communities where they hear me talking about my privilege, they're like, oh, of course, the privilege and maybe it goes back to the I think Persians are kind of victim to the model minority thing to a certain degree too um, kind of goes back to that like it almost becomes like a vulnerability in which my experience gets diminished further on top of other racialized um, conceptualizations if that makes sense so I wonder how it is that you negotiate the politics of speaking about privilege and oppression depending on your audience if that question makes any sense yeah, um, I, I think that's a great question, <clears throat> Navid. And, and I think the first thing we have to do is we have to create space. Um, and I think because if the space is o only occupied by my voice of privilege or my, my voice of oppression, then um, there, there's not much we can go from there. Um, and, and I think that um, what we have to do is, especially when we're coming from a place of, of power, a position of power, which is, you know, all faculty members, you have that um, uh, position of power, um, regardless of, of who you're, you're, you're talking to um, within the academic system. Um, <clears throat> we have to acknowledge um, others in the room. We have to acknowledge others in the conversation and um, creating our space. And I think creating our space starts, creating the space actually, um, I think first starts with us. I mean, we have to make sure that um, when we're having these discussions, um, the first thing is not I'm just going to lay on, you know, my privilege or, or just kind of make the space about talking about my privilege. But 
of acknowledging, you know, how that privilege might impact others um, who are into the conversation, um, how acknowledging um, others who might want to bring in their privilege or, or areas of oppression, and that your area of privilege or kind of where you've experienced exp oppression does not um, um, take up or get taken up by other people's experience. Okay. Um, I, I think that is a, a very important to acknowledge first. Yeah. Well, and if I could ask you, Dr. Quack, uh, thank you, Dr. Shia. Um, you you outlined these four themes that kind of consolidated the ideas in the book. You mentioned visibility, invisibility, oppressed privilege stories, a continuous internal dialogue, and using our privilege to support the marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, uh, especially because it seems like in some ways, if I'm understanding correctly, your book and the topic kind of speaks to the ex experiences of Prof, uh, sorry, professors uh, in academia and maybe folks that are also doing practice in that zone. And I wonder as like, uh, as maybe a mentor or someone who supports, I'm assuming earlier career faculty members, like how do you invite like these conversations or the spaces that Dr. Shi is referring to? Like, do you have any stories or maybe advice for other folks occupying a similar position of mentorship or influence in how to bring these conversations forward, especially maybe in a white-dominated context? That's a really good question. I mean, this is this is uh, talking about how we could best apply some of these concepts in real-life situation or in academia. I think one of the things which is important for me, um, being where I am today, is to be very intentional um, about um, how to bring this type of knowledge to people who don't even know. Um, it is very often, very often, uh, new people or new faculty coming into the field uh, do not know what to ask and do not know what to look for and do not know um, a lot of stuff in academia. So having been somebody who have been in the field for the last 18 years, um, I have knowledge and knowledge is power. So, and also being intentional about seeking out um, uh, junior faculties who may be needing those um, hand-holding um, uh, stage at, at, at a, at when they first started, so as to give them some guidance. I was very privileged to have had that experience uh, when I first started academia. So Dr. Carmen Penetsun Martin was very helpful in helping me navigate uh, that, that, um, that process. And I have had the privilege of being in a group of Asian American uh, professors from different uh, universities who kind of adopted me um, as a person whom they can, they can help and train. So it's not just one individual who can help, it can be a group of individuals um, who may be looking out for um, junior faculties whom they can guide and help. So it has been very helpful in having that particular group who gave me a space to kind of um, blossom in, in my research, in um, sharing stories, and, and it was very helpful to, to start from there. And I think the, the desire of continuing is uh, of continuing this type of conversation starts from the time when I, when I was at the National Council of Family Relations 
whereby I was invited into a symposium with other Asian American faculty members who start talking about their experiences. And that kind of opened up my eyes and also uh, knowledge about what, what was happening and what, how I could take some of their knowledge and experiences and what I could do different. So now I have been in this space for 18 years. <clears throat> I'm in a position to also help other people, um, junior faculties, to learn how to navigate in those kind of uh, challenges as well. So something about the, that symposium and connecting with a whole community of folks, you said opened up your eyes? Sure. Yes. Do you, could you, do you mind sharing a little bit more? Like, what, what did your eyes see when they opened? Like, right. You know what? This is, this is interesting because it was in 2006 where I happened to attend their first, um, I wouldn't say it's my first, at least as an, as an academic, uh -huh. uh, as a faculty member, that was my first uh, experience with them. And then somehow I found myself with a group of Asian American professors who have been in academia for many years. And, uh, and, and I just sat and listened to what they were experiencing. What was it like going into academia? What are the questions you should be asking? Uh, what are the things that you should look for? For example, they will talk about seed money. They'll talk about uh, extra uh, uh, grant that you could get into in, in the school. They will provide you the kind of questions that you should be asking your chair. Um, so that was really helpful because I didn't even know what other questions to ask during that time. So whenever um, I found myself in a difficult spot, uh, uh, you know, being in a mostly white uh, uh, environment, it's, it's difficult to have your voice heard. Right. So, so they would give me some guidance as to what I can do and what I should do. One of the things that, that came out of that was we were able to do a couple of symposium uh, talking about that. We were able to um, share very deeply um, uh, some, of the, so, some of the things that we could do in terms of even promotion. What are the things that you should be focused on and not, not be doing a lot of service, but to be able to publish. So those are things that I was very mindful of when I first started uh, in academia. So correct me if I'm wrong, in a lot of ways, your kind of colleagues and the mentors at the time kind of exposed the system and made visible like uh, really useful ways to access money and resources and leverage influence and power in ways that could really support your career and your community. Correct. Beautiful. Oh, that's, ex that's exciting and inspiring. And, and Navi, do you mind if I add something uh, here? Um, because... You know, um, I, I was a junior faculty um, when, when Dr. Quek was um, um, at Alliant International University as well. So there was some um, level of, of mentorship here. Oh, so you and, saw what Dr. Quek's describing, you experienced in your... Exactly, exactly. Very much that kind of openness. And I, I felt like she was always someone that I can go to as, as a, um, a mentor um, to talk about these things. Because I, I think sometimes there is this kind of stigma of... Um, in, in academia of like a competitive work of, of trying to kind of outshine each other. Um, we all have doctorates and, and we're here like kind of, you know, who can pull in that kind of million dollar grant, right? Or I guess now with inflation, $5 million grants. <laughs> um, but but I, I felt like, you know, what, what we saw also is this kind of pulling each other up. 
um, you know, this, and maybe this is this is our um, collectivistic kind of perspective on, you know, how we uh, approach this topic of, of of mentorship of you know like new faculty come on and, and a lot of times new faculty come on and, and they're hungry and they're, they 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 want to get to work they want they have all these ideas but um, not necessarily all those ideas are going to um, 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 make them help them with with tenureship and things like that right. so it, it's very helpful to kind of it, it's a, kind of a symbiotic relationship because new faculty members always bring life and bring energy but then kind of the the faculty that have been around for all they can really help and just kind of mentoring and say hey this is the road that's going to lead you towards tenureship lead you towards yes. um being successful in academia and i think both of that is needed i've, I've learned so much through my new newer faculty now um, that I've been in academia for, for about 10 years now. Um, and, but they, you know, the, the amount of time um, that I spend kind of talking with them, working with them, meeting with them. Um, I, I mean, it's just that those connections get formed and what you end up seeing is this um, a faculty group that's connected and work well with each other and, and creating and shaping a program. And I, and I think that kind of um, trickles down. Um, I'm hopefully that kind of trickles down to experience with students as well. Mm. Um, because when you have a faculty group that gets along, that you know, respect each other and honors each, each other's diversity, intersectionality, social locations, that's, that's a whole different, I, I feel like it's, it's a whole different environment rather than a, a faculty group that's focused on just like, competitiveness and, and outshining one another. Um, it, it's just, it's a different mood, I think, within the program. Yeah, it's kind of like when you hear a music, like a band of musicians, and you can kind of tell in the music when their relationships are suffering. <laughs> so in some Absolutely. Ways, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so if let me know if this is a fair capture of some of what you're saying, because what you're describing feels like a process I'm familiar with in the sense of like, for example, uh, so I'm a musician, um, and this past weekend I was recording some music with a group, and for the first time ever in any group I've ever played with was an Arabic-speaking bassist. And, like, you know, I'm Farsi-speaking, but we're in the racialized identity of Middle Eastern. So, you know, we're positioned, I'm like, oh, my God, I, like, kind of gravitate towards and I'm like, hey, like, what's been going on in your world? Like, you've been out here, too. How cool. Like, let me... What's been it like for you? And here are my experiences. So I'm in some ways like making connection in the ways that like we might be gravitating towards each other as we notice some similarities or some cultural backgrounds that might be connected. And Dr. Quack, I'm hearing you put forward a charge of like being really intentional in those contexts and also not just like letting them just happen, like making spaces, intentional spaces where people can come together and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a kind of a difficult follow-up question or maybe not difficult, maybe not fair. I don't know. One of the challenges for me has been negotiating my ethnic lingu my ethnic identity, my linguistic identity, and then my racialized identity. Because, you know, people see me an Iraqi man, they're like, oh, like Middle Easterners. Linguistically and culturally, we're pretty different. But like in the United States and this racialized identity, we're pretty similar. I'm wondering like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the Asian American is a very wide <laughs> term, linguistically and ethnically. I wonder how you both like negotiate that as you're supporting faculty or like 
I don't know. I don't know if that even makes sense. But like, is that something that you're negotiating, like the racialized identity of Asian American, as compared to some of the particularities or idiosyncrasies of ethnicity or language? Alex, do you want to go first? Yeah, um, I, I think um, in some ways, um, for me at least, I, I navigate that similarly to um, if I were to see a client that is um, struggling with depression, right? I don't automatically go in and say, oh, yeah, you're struggling with depression. Um, that means A, B, C, and D, are, mm -hmm. those are criteria that you meet. Um, you know, spending time kind of understanding their own experience um, one of um, one of the authors um, in in this um, book um, is Dr. Um, Homing um, Homing um, uh, Homing Chen. Yes, um, <clears throat> and um, both of us are um, you know have Taiwanese background, um, and but our stories are very different. Mm. Uh, our, our experiences are very different, and um, getting the you know creating a space for for um, to. to for her to share that story helps me better understand that for her um, and, and kind of be able to kind of help them, um, help mentoring. Um, if if um, um, Homing was someone I was mentoring, it, it helps kind of understanding their story to kind of help, um, you know, find a way that mentors that's going to speak to them. And so I think that that is important, just being able to honor each other's stories. Um, even though kind of we, there's this kind of umbrella of Asian American and we are, so different. Um, even from the same country, we can be very, very different, have different experiences. Um, but it's important to, to create that space um, where everybody feels like they can come and speak their truth and their experiences without kind of this, the, the, any stigmas entering, without kind of assumptions entering. Yeah. I think if I may add to what Dr. C says about, um, uh, and what you said, David, David about um, how even though we are under the Asian American umbrella, there are many different uh, groups. Uh, even within the groups, there are many different um, <laughs> different layers. Like if you just think about the Chinese, there are so many different types of Chinese. Right. And among the Chinese, there are so many different dialects of Chinese. Right. So, so in a sense, we are, there are some similarity, but there's definitely differences. So we want to acknowledge that and honor uh, both similarities and differences. And I think this is a, a, a respectful thing to do. And in our conversation with individuals um, uh, who may be similar like us, uh, we, we, I, I do not tend to assume that um, what they're thinking is similar to what I'm thinking. So this is why, uh, like Dr. Say has said it over and over again, the importance of creating space and the importance of asking the questions so that we can have uh, more shared experiences and more uh, knowledge as to where we are coming from and how best we can support each other. Mm. Um, it's for sure that there are some kind of um, uh, uh, struggles that we go through being a person of color, but so there are similarities, there are differences, so, so acknowledge those and be very respectful of where people are coming from and what they're thinking and uh, be able to kind of empower and support as when needed. Uh, like I said, knowledge is power. As, as, we, as, as a person who have a little bit more uh, experiences in academia, I definitely could share some of those knowledge and what I've experienced. And they can 
pick and choose what is most relevant for their needs and what must be what what could be most helpful for them. Well, if Dr. Quack, if I could follow up with that, you know, you mentioned some of the struggles um, and the complexities of the of doing this work that you're proposing, or have been doing rather, uh, as Dr. Shia has experienced in his own life. Um, what happened, if you don't mind sharing, like what have been some of the challenges of kind of creating some of these spaces or bringing some awareness to the issues of being a faculty of color um, and supporting your communities that you're working with? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we have to, I generally like to make sure that I look at the bigger picture um, and see what's going on and uh, how can I best support um, faculty of color. For example, so in a classroom, we can have a faculty of color and you know from our research that faculty of color, the evaluation of their classes are always lower mm. and a little bit more challenging. And this is, this is substantiated by research. So, so if at the end of the semester you be able to see um, what's going on, what's happening, <clears throat> so I take the approach of how can I best understand where the faculty is coming from, and how we could kind of provide feedback that is that is most um, helpful for them to grow and learn. But at the same time, I would have to also hear where the students are coming from, and whether they are learning um, uh, from from that from that uh, particular uh, professor of color. So, so the big picture is really important for me. And then, then I look at the evaluation uh, given uh, by the students on the faculty of color, and I recognize that generally faculty of color gets, their evaluation are not as strong as a, a white faculty. Mm. So I take that into consideration as I look at, or I provide uh, feedback to that particular faculty. And then we can kind of work together to kind of um, lay out ways we could do better in the next class. Mm. So, so this, this is not an uncommon experience that I go through uh, being a program director or now a chair of, of the program. So the feedback and the evaluations you're given and offering are, are not just like presented objectively, quote unquote, they're housed within the complexities of the politics of being a faculty of color. Correct. Yeah. Yes. How about for you, Dr. Shia, if I could ask you the same question? Yeah, and, and I think very much kind of what uh, Dr. Kleck says, but also um, I, I believe in just kind of um, being intentional about this whole process. Um, um, I, I think sometimes with faculty members, we're all extremely busy. We're doing, you know, 10,000 different things all at once. And it's easy to kind of um, look at like the review periods as the time that like, oh yeah, here's when we're kind of reviewing faculty members and whatnot. Um, but I, I felt like what's really helped me is just kind of setting up routines to make, meet with faculty um, and discussing the process, especially like junior faculty. And just like, hey, how's the process be? Uh, what's it like for you? You know, what's it like, um, you know, teaching your very first class? What's it like kind of balancing research clinical work with teaching with, you know, a hundred other committees that you're on? Um, you know, what's it, what, what's your experience being a faculty of color and, and how do you feel like that has or hasn't impacted your work so far with students? Um, and, and creating that dialogue um, early and often, um, you know, either in, in faculty meetings, but, um, what I've really found really helpful is one-on-one -on -one meetings with, with um, my, my faculty and just kind of sitting down 
um, you know, <clears throat> you know, pre-COVID, I think it was like, you know, having some coffee, but now it's like everything happens over Zoom, right? So um, um, having some time to, to, to meet with them, I feel like is very, very important. Um, and it just kind of forms that connection because, you know, we're in this field because we're, we, we believe in human interactions. And um, I feel like we, you know, just because um, our, our faculty member has a PhD doesn't mean that we just kind of leave them, let them do their own work, right? I feel like, you know, they still very much need connection. And, um, you know, one of the things that I appreciated when I was a junior faculty, um, one of my uh, mentors, um, Dr. Alina Wong, she picked me up from the airport and like showed me around the neighborhood of like, um, um, you know, in, in San Diego and kind of all the neighborhoods and, and where I can go get lunch and things like that. And although none of that meant anything about academia, it, it helped with that connection. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, when I did struggle as a faculty from time to time, I felt like I could go to her and talk with her and, and, and help that conversation. Um, so I think that these relationships really matter and kind of us being intentional about these relationships are really helpful. That's beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing that. It's a really nice story and kind of inspirational, encouraging to do the same. I love the idea of being toured around San Diego by a colleague. Yes, yes. Uh, ironically, I ended up not getting hired by that that campus, um, and that's why I'm actually in Sacramento uh, instead of the San Diego campus. But yes, hey, but you're left with a fondness. It sounds yes, like. yes. Uh, well, I want to thank you both so much for kind of being here and sharing about not just this book that you have written um, that I want to encourage all of our listeners to go kind of check out, um, but also for the ongoing work you're doing and kind of the. You know, the trickle downs, like you said, Dr. Shia, into the communities um, to encourage some more like minded, like looking people to get into the field. Mm -hmm. um, anything uh, that you, either of you would like to add as we're kind of pulling up and out here? No, I don't. No, uh, Navid, I just want to uh, thank you for the opportunity for, for inviting me and Dr. Quek uh, to come in and talk about the book. Um, and, and I mean, I think part of it was also just. The experience of actually writing this book um, was, was was really cool, um, and you know, and just kind of the process of, of, of doing something, a project like this. Mm. Thank you, Nadia. Well, that's you know, it's hard for me to end here now because now I want to ask a whole bunch of questions about the process. <laughs> but gonna... I mean, that would be uh, for your next podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to have you, you back. Are, and you are a true systemic therapist. Process. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm so drawn to it. Um, yeah, so thank you both for being here. And uh, to our listeners, uh, while we're speaking about this book here with Dr. Shi and Dr. Quick, they both have a whole body of literature that occupies other corridors of the work. So an encouragement to go check out not just their shared work together, but also the work that they have published in other contexts. So thank you both for being here. Appreciate you. Thank you. Bye-bye.